welcome back to The Witching Hour. I am Perry Nemiroff, and I have the pleasure of looking at my lovely co-host, but you can hear her wonderful voice. It's Haley Fouch. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm just happy to see you, and Always. I'm happy to be having this particular conversation with you. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. I think it'll be a good time also. I think I'm going to say the word fun like way too many times this episode. So I, I don't think take shots. I think that's the best F word to say over and over and over again. So I'm here for it. Excellent. So the reason why we're going to be saying the F word so much is because this is your Mortal Kombat edition of The Witching Hour. We are going to open it up with a non-spoiler review for those of you who have yet to see the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie and want to, it's available in theaters right now. And also it's streaming on HBO Max, so you can go check it out. But then after that, we're going to go into spoilers. But do not worry. You can hang around until that happens. And we're going to give you a very clear warning of when we're going to talk Mortal Kombat spoilers. So right now, non-spoiler territory. What did you think of the movie, Haley? I think it's fine there's another effort for you and fun and I did have a good time and it does have problems and I'm not sure how much I care I just enjoyed myself enough to be like yeah I'm okay with that I I will pretty much agree with you on that except I will admit I watched the movie twice and the first time around I was a little salty about the problems to the point that I'm like well you know, that that trailer was so good and it built up such a specific type of hype. Yes. Like in particular, when it, came, when it came to the visuals, that's what I was really looking forward to was an R-rated action movie or more specifically an R-rated Mortal Kombat movie that had some of the best fighters in this business and also some absolutely stunning visuals. So the fact that it disappointed me a little in the visual department was was tough to manage the first time around. But really, once all those expectations went out the window with the second viewing where I knew exactly what I was jumping into, I, I, I had a blast with it. Yeah, I think I had the benefit of not seeing it so early because I kept hearing from people that they didn't like it. So I was like, okay, adjust your expectations from what you thought during the trailer. And that made it easier. You know, it kind of puts you in the, uh, the other corner of like, well, I don't think this is as bad as I've heard. Yeah. Um, which is maybe a, a more fun way to see something like this because it definitely, you know, that trailer did build up such a specific type of hype around it. Yeah. And I, I know, I know what a lot of people out there would likely say. You can't let the expectations get the better of you and you have to separate it. But I'm yeah, a big but I'm a human and that's not realistic. No, it's not realistic. And it's a, it's a big reason, you know, why there's uh a whole variety of worthwhile reactions to movies to uh, hear and read. And I mean, it, it just comes from the fact that we're human beings and that's what happens. Yeah, but well, you know, this is, I, I say I'm a human and that's not realistic, but you do catch me trying to check myself every time we talk about Army of the Dead. I mean, well, that's fair. I mean, I, I constantly try to check myself in a variety of in a variety of ways when I'm reviewing something. And in this one in particular, expectations definitely played a big role in that first viewing. And, you know, it's not to say that a lot of the I mean, really all the criticisms I had after seeing the movie once don't apply anymore on a second viewing because they're all still there. The story in the script is, you know, to be frank, it's shit. It's a it's a bad script. 
it's a really bad script. And I do think there there are a multitude of examples where the fight choreography is close to ruined because of the editing and the framing. And it's extremely unfortunate, but it still comes down to that F word. Entertainment value is very, very important when you're watching a movie. And for reasons that I can't quite explain, this bad movie does tick that box. And all right, I take it back. I think I can explain it. I think it's just the fact that I'm, I'm not a Mortal Kombat expert by any means. I have not played all the games, but I did grow up playing some of them a good deal. And I know these characters. And I think it comes from the thrill of seeing them in action on screen. And there is something about the whole idea of Mortal Kombat Outworld versus Earthrealm that is just inherently appealing. I think that's a big part of the reason why the game franchise is such a massive, massive hit. And I feel like the movie tapping into that at all gave it a good chance of being an enjoyable viewing experience, even if certain elements of the movie are not very good. Yeah, I'm definitely not an expert myself. I did play when I was a kid and that's about it. Uh, And I think that the movie kind of delivers what I enjoyed about the game that I played when I was a kid, which I know it has become much more and it's like Mm -hmm. a saga you know um but which is just like every once in a while something really gnarly happens and you kind of go oh damn nice okay cool uh and you know I I'm not I have a lot to say about what you mentioned about the editing but I'll probably save some of it for spoilers uh but that is for me the only part of the movie I genuinely don't like like when we talked about Godzilla versus Kong I kind of talked about how I i I totally can vibe with the stupid movie mm-hmm. and overlook the, the plot problems a lot. The editing on a movie that's all about the fight scenes being done that way really does. That's the one thing where I'm kills my like I'm having such a good vibe. And it's I, I do. I suspect it's largely due to the editing, but as someone with no knowledge of exactly what they walked away with after filming. I mean, for all I know, it, it could also have something to do with uh, Simon McCoy's shot selection. Again, I, I don't know. I'm making, uh, you know, I, I'm making my assessment based on what I saw in the movie. And I think it might be a combination of the two because the movie has a number of absolutely stunning frames, but then yeah. it has frames where, you know, I'm catching myself stopping and going like that's that there's probably a more dynamic way to convey that information or to show that specific move or even, you know, in a in a fight set piece, my eye isn't being drawn by the camera work to the element that I do naturally want to see next, if you know what I mean. And the geography is just all over the place. And I think uh, I think the editing is the biggest offender here, but I do wonder if some of it comes from shot design as well. That's absolutely possible. Like there are, well, I'll get more granular when we go to spoilers, mm-hmm. but let's just say there are a couple, maybe just one, uh, genuinely excellent, I thought, constructed, edited, fight sequence. And then 
varying levels of how much it bothers me. And you're right, it totally could be maybe there wasn't something in the edit to cut to that would have made those hits feel better or convey exactly what was happening in that moment better. But the way it does play, again, I will explain some of these details in a bit. There are parts where it's just like, why would you do that to yeah. that to steal the impact from that fight moment? Um, but that said, uh, I still, so like I joke tweeted about it, it's just a dumb thirst tweet, but I was like, um, if you're looking for a thinking person's review, here it is. Everyone's real pretty and they fight good, 10 out of 10. Do I really think it's a 10 out of 10 movie? No, and my point there is that I think the performers are not always in the emotional performance, but in the physical work, tremendous. And I do not believe the fault lies there. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into spoilers, then what did you think of the cast in general? Maybe some some highs and lows. Um, there is a lot of wooden situation happening, like in the emotional moments that I just it doesn't work for me. But there, so man, that's such a gamut when the ensemble. I I love a lot of these performers from other projects. So like Louis Tan and Joe Taslim, like I'm, I'm there. I'm already a fan. I can't be too objective because I love them so much. I do think that there was a little bit of, of woodiness going on for both of them at moments too, though. And uh, if I'm trying to be objective, I thought Joss Lawson was very fun. Yes. Entertaining and sort of the bright spot performance wise. Jessica McNamee is really good on a physical level. I did not get the emotion I wanted there. McCod Brooks is ripped. What the hell? He, he looks like a completely different person to me. It's like, I've known that's him in the role since the casting announcement, but he's still like, I have looked at pictures of him in this movie and past projects that I've seen him in. And I'm like, how are these the same people? I genuinely like, you could sell me that this is a, ruse that this is another man using his I can't see him as Jax and also see him as eggs from true blood like it just what but I thought (laughs) it was great he I he worked for me totally um to go through some of the folks that you just listed there you know yeah I am a fan of of Lewis 10 here I I thought he was uh very flat and I think that's problematic in a movie where he's supposed to be the the protagonist and I think a little, a little charisma in that department would have served the overall film very well. Seen him do so much better that like, I wonder how this happened. He's so good on, um, my God, the TV show, why it's such a one word easy name. Why is my brain this way, Perry? I can't, I can't help you today. I'm literally coming <laughs> off my second shot. And I just like, I'm like sitting here basically waiting for my whole body to melt down. <laughs> Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, well, I'm having a brain lapse right now. But. Here, I'm on his IMDb page. Was it Woo Assassins Into the Badlands? Oh, I do love Into the Badlands. That might be. I watched a little of Into the Badlands and I did really like it, but then I just got distracted by other things for some reason. But then I didn't need to derail. You're right. It is There is a charisma problem there as the lead. But I, don't, I also don't think 
now I can't remember exactly how you put it to so tell me if I'm kind of misquoting you here, but I also don't necessarily think in Lewis Tan and Jessica McNamee's case, it is an issue of performance as it much as it is the material that they were given. Like it, it seems like the characters that floundered the most in this movie were the layered ones that actually had you know, a, a, a past to manage and, and certain feelings that weren't fully developed, maybe less so in Cole's case, actually, because a good deal of the movie does focus on his family. But, you know, with her, she stands in front of a damn board that she's been assembling for who knows how long. And it's all boiled down to, you know, maybe like a minute's worth of a speech. I, I don't know. That, that was egregious. Like that, that didn't. I thought she delivered that as well as she possibly could have, but that didn't feel fair to the character. And I'll save my next little bit for the spoiler section, but what what Sonya Blade is going through in this movie and what she's like trying to process alongside all of these other characters was very intriguing to me, but by not giving us more of that backstory and what brought her to this place, it doesn't mean as much. And that's not a performance problem, that's a script problem. Yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to say that for both of them, there's probably both happening. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but there were, I didn't, I mean, there were also some other standouts in the cast that we didn't. Oh, mention. I have my standouts. Can I tell you my standouts? Please. I am absolutely obsessed with Liu Kang and Kung Lao, and I need a spinoff, like a buddy spinoff just of the two of them. I thought Ludi Lin was so perfectly cast as that character, and- He's he's probably one of the most successful when it comes to, you know, being a character that's saddled with a ton of expositions. Literally everything he said, I believed it. And not only did I believe the information that he was giving me, but I believed the passion behind it. He just cared about everything so, so much. I, he, those were the two I think you probably could tell I was going to bring up there. I think they're real standouts and I'm not really very familiar with either of them from previous things. Um, so they totally were scene stealers for me that made me want to see, like, go see them in other things and hopefully see yeah. them in more future projects. Um, it was Into the Badlands. I looked it up. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. And just to, just to add to that, I thought Max Huang was absolutely fantastic. He doesn't have to deal with the exposition as much as uh, Ludi Lin does, but it was just the way he carried himself as Kung Lao that, I don't know, I just, I was really taken by it and I really enjoyed it. And I also thought that you know, the character design and, and the fight techniques of Kung Lao was hands down the most cinematic of the bunch. I could have just watched him fight his way through the movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Do we want to just go into spoilers? I feel like we probably should. Probably I mean, I guess... To give references to what I'm criticizing or celebrating. Or I, I guess before we put up the spoiler warning, you know, I think the the end result of this conversation is just, you know, manage your expectations. It is what it is. And, you know, if uh, if this is if this is your kind of thing, I think there is fun to be had with it. But an entertaining movie doesn't necessarily equal a good movie. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm, I'm comfortable saying that I love a lot of trash and this very probably falls into that category. I I'm a total slut for the fatalities. Admit it. That's like really what they needed to land for my particular, what I wanted out of this. Um, I very much was sold on the R-rated 
fatalities, big fight scenes. And while the fight scenes maybe in some technical ways weren't as spectacular as I'd hoped, um, the fatalities I think were. Yeah. Um, I definitely have my favorites in that department, but this is it. We're going to put up the, uh, the spoiler warning right now. This is your one and only spoiler warning for the 2021 movie Mortal Kombat. Push pause, go watch it if you haven't seen it yet, and then come back to the conversation and push play because this is it. All right, Haley, where do you want to start in the spoiler section? Hmm. Well, should we start with the obvious that there is actually no Mortal Kombat tournament and that seems like a real weird choice? And the first time I watched it, like I could see the... I could see the seeds being planted for that. And the entire time I'm like, wait, wait. Right. What what, what is happening right now? And then, and then obvi- it's obvious. And I'm like, holy shit, this is a Mortal Kombat movie that takes place before Mortal Kombat. I know. I think that one of the biggest script problems in the movie is how much they treat it like an origin story type setup. Uh, and it does not do them favors. And it's very obvious that it's a forward looking script. Like we'll pay that off in another movie, which is not a good way to write a film. No, not at all. And so, somewhat similarly, I think one of the movie's biggest flaws of the bunch is even how poorly they set up the idea of Mortal Kombat, which is fairly simple i mean it's earth realm versus outworld in a fight for the universe but and it goes back to what we were saying before about that big old exposition dump in the first act they managed to make that whole concept as unengaging as possible without building almost any you know suspension or, or 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 tension as they creep closer to this event and the the other big problem that i had with the, the way that they introduced Mortal Kombat was I got very hung up on the idea of do normal human beings know that Mortal Kombat and super super uh, people with superhuman abilities exist? Because, oh, I mean, look at, look at the fight at the beginning with Sub-Zero. This is why that got in my head, you know, now that I'm talking it through a little more. I think had that Sub-Zero attack on Cole had that not been out in public, I would not be saying this right now, but because of where that fight takes place, I got very hung up on the idea of, you know, like, how are the news stations reporting on this incident <laughs> where a person with special powers just like shot ice pellets out of the sky? Right. And, and then I got very hung up on the idea of, of the marks because that scene pretty much leads directly into the Jessica McNamee exposition scene where she's got this whole board of research she's been doing for forever. If that just happened in such a public setting, there's got to be more information about Mortal Kombat out there. The two things just didn't align to me. And I feel like when it comes to, this is more of a comment on disaster movies, but what I love about those is when is when the big thing is being set up in the beginning. And when you have an understanding of, you know, what daily life was like, and then all of a sudden people realize, holy shit, this, you know, potentially supernatural or, or a natural devastating occurrence is, is on the horizon. And that kind of ups that suspense and the, the tension that I was referring to before. But because of the confusing nature of where Mortal Kombat fits into the real world, they, they weren't able to access any of that at all. And I think that was a major missed opportunity in the first act of the film. Yeah. Uh, there is no sense of 
like reality built into it, which feels like a silly thing to critique in a movie like this, but there, it definitely does. It's not that I want it to be a grounded film, but it helps to have a ground to stand on and thus like make your extra, uh, what is the word I'm not getting right here? Um, like your superhuman type feats feel more spectacular by contrast or, hmm. um, you know, your, your extra earth means more if you have a sense of the earth that you're not in when you're not there. Um, extra earth, I don't know what is up with my brain today. <laughs> I'm just sitting <laughs> here nodding away. Maybe we would say, um, yeah. I, I So when I speak though to what I think is the film's one genuinely great fight scene, it is that initial attack sequence at the very start of the film. Um, I think that's really beautifully shot and composed and works very, very well and sets the stage for a technical like language that does not exist in the rest of the movie for some mm -hmm. reason. And I don't yeah. understand the contrast between those things. I, I'll agree with you. I think that was hands down the best fight sequence of the movie. And it wasn't even just because it was a fight sequence that, you know, showed off some stunning imagery. It was also because it was a fight sequence rooted in a little more of a, of a grounded feel. And it was a moment where without exposition, we're going to be saying the F word and that E word the entire episode, um, because it was a moment that wasn't so buried in exposition. And it was, it was something that was conveying you know, character, uh, character history without saying anything so successfully, that's a big reason why that stands out to me. Whereas, you know, every, everything else relies on, uh, relies on just a very clunky use of cinematic tools in order to happen. And you, uh, uh, this is not entirely related, but I think that that in that first sequence, there's, we get some emotionality because those two actors who are two of the best actors in the film don't have their mask on. Yes. It's the character design, but it makes yes. it different. And I, like, I think that Joe Taslam in particular was so good. And I was yeah. so excited to see him in the full Sub-Zero getup because again, it was expectations created by the trailer. He looks so damn cool. I couldn't wait to see him. And then I couldn't believe it when I was watching the movie. And I'm like, shit, I wish he wasn't wearing the mask right now. It, it, it doesn't play as well. I, oh. I love him. Like from Warrior, from uh, obviously The Night Comes for Us, which we've got yeah. about endlessly on this show. The Raid, he's phenomenal. He's excellent. Don't hide his face. <laughs> like it is such, not just such a good face thank you very much <laughs> but like so good at conveying emotion during fight which is mm -hmm. such an important part of making a fight scene click I that uh really that contrast comes through to me comparing that first fight to the end you I can't believe even with the mask on that he was less scary like he was so much more scary at the beginning when you saw the rage on his face and I felt I actually felt like he was an unbeatable villain then and not so much in the later scenes of the movie. I think that it feels more generic when it's just a figure in a mask as opposed to this like character with the vendetta. Yeah. I don't know. And it is, it you totally summed up the like uh, 
my internal cognitive dissonance over like, I want to see him as the iconic look. Wait, no, I don't like that. Undo yeah. it. Um, I also, something I really liked about that opening sequence that I wish there was more of was I feel like it's the only part where, um, <laughs> all right, that's a bit much. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I feel like it's the only part where like a horror touch comes through, but I mean, not just in gore, in sensibility, like in tone when they yeah. reveal his wife and child. Um, that's effective. That, again, set me up for um, a visual language and an energy that I was hoping to see in the rest of the film that wasn't really there. I guess we had a little bit of a horror-ish. Nah, I feel like I'm stretching the term. But anyway, to, to leap off of that, the other fight sequence that I really liked was the one with um, Kano and Sonia in the house. I thought that was one of the better uses of lighting and space and, and done in a way that speaks to that speaks to who those characters are and their fighting styles. And it, it was just well, yeah, one of the character built into it again. Like yeah. they have a reason to want to fight each other and um, there's personality. And there's style. There was real style to some of those shots. I do, this goes back to the editing thing. I really wish that they hadn't intercut all of those fights together. It's, it's so- too, It was too much. Yeah. And I, I would get really into that trailer fight and then it cuts to something else that's less grounded and it loses, uh, I, the, the impact just isn't right cutting between those very different fights. And the thing is, I actually think all three of those fights, I, I believe it's three that they're cutting between. I think they all, all could have been great, yeah. but by intercutting them, you, you, you take away from, from the others. And, you know, I understand why they, why they did what they did. I mean, basically because Cole states it right before, but <laughs> it, it's something that probably should have been recognized and changed as they were editing the film. Well, and here's, so like, if you want to say, you know, we're going to have our own tournament on our terms. Okay. But part of the tournament structure is that you get to focus on one fight while it's happening. And yeah. I think that would have really benefited those, which I agree are strong fights on their own. They're just not edited in a way that benefits them. Um, which is unfortunate when you're already trying to sell the audience on like, but it's just a different kind of tournament. Yeah. All right. I, I want to bring something up that, I, like I said this in my own review, and I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to say it, but it feels important to mention. There are so many editing choices that I do wonder if they stemmed from, you know, budget constraints. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I wonder if those three sequences, those three fight scenes being cut together into one sequence had anything to do with you know, not being able to flesh them out on set to the extent needed, because it does feel like the, like probably one of your best options if you're cutting around not having certain material. I, I just started to wonder about that all over the place because, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but there's, 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 I think there's some pretty glaring examples of that. And the one that comes to mind first is the cargo plane. Like that is a terrible cut of them jumping out of the plane to being on the ground. Your yeah, yeah. mind wants to see them skydive. And then all of a sudden they're on the ground. Not to mention what happens right after that, which is 
as they start to see um, Liu Kang approach, oh my, lighting issues all over the place. They were shooting that at all different times of the day and the color palettes were not matching and it was driving me nuts. Uh, I was, well, I, initially I was going to say, like, I don't know about that because all you need for a good fight scene is two good fighters, which they have, but I was not initially taking into account all the CG that goes into a lot of those fight scenes. Like, I don't find that to necessarily be an excuse for the Sonia Kano fight because those are two good performers who could have, they didn't need to be cut around, I don't think. Um, but when it comes to fighting the more supernatural type uh, nemeses, if you will, I could see where the budget would become a factor there. Yeah, I just kept, I kept, and like, I, I think I had a real problem with that thought being planted in my brain because it felt so obvious to me with the cargo plane bit that then it, it kind of affects everything that comes after it where my eye is almost, you know, uncontrollably looking for it. I definitely got the scene where I was like, oof, budget was in the void. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you just needed a, like, you had to set this somewhere easy. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's great. That's a good example there. Yeah. Um, but another, because I don't want to be all negative because I did actually really have fun with it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's like one of the... I, I feel like over the years, that's become one of the most difficult things for me to, to put into words in a convincing way. Because I feel like the reaction to this kind of response to a movie is is often oh, like you're just trying to find something nice to say. Oh, you don't want to make the studio mad. So you spin it positively in the end. Like, no, I can very much recognize that there are shit elements to a filmmaking process, but still enjoy what I'm seeing. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that part of the problem is that it's a lot, it's a, you can talk a lot longer about actual like technical criticisms than the feeling of enjoying something because it's a fun, good time. That's like, I don't remember, there's only so much I can say about that. Like it made me feel fun. Yay. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, I can't really write a thousand words on how it feels to just have a good time watching people, pretty people beat each other up. I think I could write a thousand words on how much I loved Max Huang as Kung Lao and how much fun I had watching him in that role. But I wish that you had time to do that. <laughs> I know, I got other things to do, but I'm pretty sure I could write a thousand words about that. <laughs> I also really liked um, Jax's first fight. I thought that was gnarly and it yeah. definitely made me do the, oh, whoa, thing I was talking about. His, his arms worked better than I thought. I got I got a little nervous when at first they were baby arms, <laughs> but I feel like the payoff was so good that I, that on the second time around, I'm like, oh, the baby arms, and then they're going to get big. Yeah. <laughs> I I did the, that first where he, where he gets just totally annihilated by Sub-Zero. I, I enjoyed that sequence quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that, you know, it's not a fatality, but the ending of the fight, let's say, was very effective in terms of those moments you go to Mortal Kombat for. Yeah. I'm only first realizing that Angus Sampson was in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I like seeing his name on a roster. Well, kind of. He was voice. A voice. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll take, I'll take what I can get. I'm also just noticing that two different actors played Cabal. Someone, someone must've played him in the flesh on set and then someone else voiced him. Interesting. I guess that kind of makes sense now that I think about it, because that's such a, like a, like an 
animated extreme personality. Yeah. So I guess it would, it would call for a big performance. And I was, you know, I was kind of in the middle. It's like one minute I'm like, you're super cool. And I like how you liven up the room. And then the next minute I'm like, you're annoying me. Let's tone it down a little bit. I, uh, well, I don't want it to be toned down, but in things that are over the top, I also enjoyed the reptile fight and the heart ripping yeah. and all of, all of that good carnage. The reptile and what was the other one you just said? Oh, I just said the heart ripping out. Oh, yeah, no, I was, I was very much there for, I was very much there for almost everything that involved Kano. Josh yeah. Watson was great. He just had such a firm handle on what that role needed to be. And I don't know, I don't know if this was the truth of his experience, but I could feel him just living it up in that character. Uh, to use the, the verbiage of the internet at the moment, he understood the assignment. He did. Yeah, and then he had fun and it made me have fun. I was, you know, I was about to say, I think I think the folks involved that understood the assignment the most were the one that played more extreme personalities. But I, I don't think that's I actually don't think that's the case because of what I've already said about Max Huang and Ludi Lin. Because yeah. they're they're technically more more subdued, serious characters, but I think they did exactly what they needed to do, also. I I mean I I I'm going to go back to the script issues because I, th I think the most problematic characters are the ones who walk from essentially the real world into this Mortal Kombat situation. And I think because that transition from real world to Raiden's Temple is so kind of wonky and unconvincing that it takes away from, from their experiences. Oh, we haven't even gotten to the Sonya Mark thing. That was the other thing. Okay. I, so I, part of me really liked that. I, I was very curious about, you know, what it's like for someone to be in that kind of, like, I understood why she got there because of the situation with, with Jackson, him getting the mark. I just wanted to know more about what it was like for someone to have spent so much of their life putting the pieces together and then going on this epic journey with a whole bunch of people with marks. Mm -hmm. And then wanting a better understanding of just what's what's motivating her and and more clarity about whether or not she really did want a mark like did she feel like she could help save the world without the mark or was the drive to get a mark a big factor in what she was doing the entire time and i don't think we ever get like good clarity on that no. I can I can make assumptions based on the performance and the information we do get, but I, I don't think there's enough clarity there. Yeah, I think you're putting a lot more thought into it than probably was brought to it because mm -hmm. there is, I mean, like you said, you can draw some assumptions, but not everything really lines up to point one way or another. I don't, it's a, it feels to me after thoughty, like it wasn't really, uh, considered a, a major <laughs> storytelling if, point they were interested in. If that, if that was an afterthought, that is such a huge script problem because yeah. that's, that's not like a throwaway line that that's the, the character's entire uh, motivation in a sense. I mean, like you need to define that motivation in order to define that character in this story. Well, and I don't, I don't want to be like dismissive. I don't know the behind the scenes, but the reason I say afterthoughty is just like, she immediately has her arcana, right? Like there was no, yeah. 
it's just not the focus of the narrative here, obviously. And um, I don't, I'm not saying I think that is a justification, but I, I uh, that kind of, I couldn't decide how I felt about it. Do I feel like, yeah, Sonya Blade's such a badass that she immediately has all her good supernatural powers or are you just shortchanging your female lead in the narrative? I didn't focus so much on that part. It's like, like that almost made sense to me. Like she was so focused on what Mortal Kombat and the mark meant the entire time that I feel like it would maybe click for her faster. And also because there was so much urgency at that point in the story where they needed those powers in order to win. I, I My favorite scene of someone finding their arcana was definitely Kano though. Yeah. That like that that right there is another example of a scene that I think was pretty well written, very well acted, and then the action was incorporated extremely well. It's just like you you hit everything there. And you've also, I mean, it's mostly playing out between three of our favorite performers in the film. Oh, that's fair. So <laughs> it, you know, it's got good chemistry. Good point. Uh good performances, everybody's bringing it. But I agree, it, it was a good way to incorporate the action. I didn't, you know, um, my God, yeah, it is a fairly wooden character because I just forgot Cole's name, but um, his whole thing coming out because he wanted to save his family is so like generic. And I, what, what was his thing? <laughs> like, what, what, is, what is the, what's the word to, to call that power? Like he had a, an indestructible super sweater? That appears to do some sort of Black Panther type energy absorption. I that, that part too. Yeah, I'm definitely not, again, a Mortal Kombat expert. So if you're like, it's obviously the this, you idiot. I am yeah. absolutely an idiot in this mythology. And no, I, 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 d- I definitely do not know enough about the franchise to, to know what that is, if it has any history in the franchise. But you know, we we also like we have to sit here. We have to assess the movie from the perspective of of what a fan of the franchise might feel watching it. But then also, there's tons of people out there who are just coming to watch a Mortal Kombat movie and have never played a single game. And I think when when it comes to a big moment like that, that the entire movie was building up for for that character, I, I think you need a little more definition or or wow worthiness there. And instead, I you know, the moment, and, you know, this could also, again, come from shot selection. Sorry, I have a Falcon and the Winter Soldier on my brain now, too, and there's a couple of reveals in the final episode where I'm like, this means so much to me because of how you built it up all season, but also because of the way it's shot and the way that the music booms in at just the right time. You can create so much emotion just through those elements alone, and I think when his arcana is revealed, Literally none of that is working to his benefit. So it kind of just lands with a thud. That is very fair. That was not my favorite fight scene. Uh, although I did like the wife saying, fuck this and chugging an ax at a like giant this. monster. I enjoyed that moment, oh. very relatable. <laughs> I, and in contrast to that, going back to Sonia finding her arcana, Maybe it does have a little something to do with me knowing what her abilities are in the game. Maybe. Because that was exciting to me, even though it happened in a split second. Whereas Cole's situation didn't do much for me. Yeah, that whole, I don't, it's not, that for me is a low point in the film. 
uh, the use of the characters involved, except again, the wife who was my favorite part of the scene. Uh, it just, it's all very generic. And I don't really believe that having just developed his arcana that he would win that fight. And yeah, it's just kind of a lot. It's a lot for me to try to buy. Man, I thought Melina looked real cool. Mm-hmm. I liked when she was on screen, but you know who I did not like? Natara? No. I thought those effects looked ridiculous. And the only thing that looked good is when she got sawed in half. <laughs> uh, I think I probably f- was just like, I'm so basic, but again, like very, very sexy person kicking a lot of ass and a great fatality. Good with me. Although the effects, you know, they could be improved. The fatality was great. It was more so her introduction. Yeah. Like, I think the way it's, it's even, you know, the, the line is delivered, like, this is, like, Natara or whatever they say, and then it cuts to her, and I'm just like, ugh, that does not look right. <laughs> it didn't look right. You're right. Oh. No. But that was, that is a contender for my favorite fatality in the film. I think that is my favorite fatality, but it's also because it's uh, it's caused by my favorite character. <laughs> speaking, it's just a good one. speaking of which, like, excuse my language, but I'm fucking pissed they killed him. He can come back, right? I feel like nobody's, I mean, the first person we see die comes back, right? So like nothing's. Yeah. And he even says it, something like death's just another portal. They they say that eventually, so I'm I'm thinking but they'll find an excuse. Does that apply to having your soul sucked out? Does that change things? Guess what? You can't answer that question because it's not in the movie and anything's possible. So in the end, because we know this this movie was bound to end with some sort of cliffhanger, even though I thought the movie wasn't great, I had a lot of fun with it and I want to see that thing that they teased. So I was really looking, I'm, I'm currently really looking forward to seeing another one with absolutely no guarantee that it's actually going to happen. But my excitement for another one will be severely diminished if there's no Kung Lao in the movie. That's, that's it. That's just a, a fact. I would have to agree with that. Across the board, I would love to see a sequel, even having like mostly criticized it for the last 45 minutes. Uh, I totally would be there opening day again to watch it first thing in the morning, which is what I did today, um, because I had a good time. And that's really all I ever was asking for from this movie. I My hope, though, would be, of course, learning from your mistakes, right? Yeah. Um, and something else, I don't, when's the last time you saw the 95 film? Oh my God, a, a long time ago. I meant to watch it right before this, but then of course my screener arrived and it was timed and I panicked because I wanted to watch it more than once. Sure. Um, I haven't revisited the full film, but I've watched a lot of scenes in the lead up over the last few weeks. Yeah. And look, it's not great. I did love it as a kid. It'll always have a place in my heart that some of the approach to the fight scenes definitely doesn't hold up. Like they look like they're throwing some of the softest punches in the world. Mm-hmm. But it is actually a beautifully filmed movie. Like the lighting is so striking. Uh, There is, I think a lot of what this is maybe lacking in uh, visual like 
uniqueness or identity is really present in that film. And I would love to see some of that just, you know, you don't want to rip off the old, older film, but it's just such a, every scene is so saturated and Mm -hmm. um, the backdrops are so striking and you have a sense of location and uh, scale of the spectacle. Yeah. That I really hope that if they do a sequel, they can harness a bit better. This movie does a really good job of taking away from the scale of the movie. Yeah. You know, you know what was weird? Can you remember a single scene in this movie that would have called for a ton of extras? What an interesting question, because somebody brought this up in an interview, right? It was, Je- it was Jessica McNamee. And I, like, I don't have the quote itself handy, but I think we were talking about, you know, some of the wildest scenes or, or no, we were talking about Simon McCoy, this being his first feature and just his ability to keep cool under so much pressure. And she did mention, and she, she admitted at the time, she's like, I might be misquoting, but there's that scene with a thousand extras. And, you know, even if you're, you're misquoting by saying a thousand and it was a hundred, I still can't think of a scene that would have required a hundred maybe like maybe the MMA fight, but That's what I was going to say the cage fight, maybe, maybe something, maybe something was, was cut. But I also think that that ties back to what I was originally saying about the setup of mortal Kombat and not having a full understanding of where it fits into the real world is that average humans are, are almost like entirely removed from the scenario. Like literally every location in this movie feels incredibly isolated even when it's not meant to be. That's probably part of why I like that moment with the wife so much. It gives it a more grounded uh, just moment in the midst of something that doesn't have anything to tether it to our concept of stakes or or scale. I I also just thought that the the two actors who played the wife and the daughter were very good because they, they did not have very much to work with, but I thought they did quite well with what they got. I would have to agree with that. I like them both, and they're very thinkless characters. Yeah, I believe their names are Matilda Kimber plays plays the daughter, I believe, and then Laura Brent plays plays his wife, Allison. They did good. The kid too, you know. I'm not a fan of kids, but she did not bug me at all. <laughs> no, she she was pretty solid. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came up in that interview, and this is just like. You know, may, maybe this came from me having an eagle eye watching it for a specific purpose. <laughs> Do you remember that shot of like I got very obsessed with this too? It's uh, it's right after she she stops Cole outside the trailer before they go inside, and she shows him the room with the with the string board, mm-hmm. and she she takes a necklace and she like there's a, a long shot on this of her putting a necklace in her shirt. I missed it. And it didn't look like, it didn't look like, you know, like army tags or anything. So I kept, I kept rewatching it and I thought maybe it was, you know, like I was thinking it was something important, like a wedding ring or something, you know, something that, that tapped into that backstory that I wanted more of. And I asked her about it in ladies night. She's just like, nope, that was for continuity. Apparently the necklace fell out of her shirt in the scene prior. So they had to have a shot of her putting it in her shirt. It's just like. Like good on the script supervisor for noticing something like that and making sure it was taken care of. But there were so many other holes all throughout. I'm like, that's what you were focusing on. Like I never would have noticed if her necklace was in or out of her shirt. I mean, yes, good job script supervisor. But 
possibly something that could have been removed in the edit. I, yeah, I just, I got hung up on some details. I love that about you. You're always looking out for the, the dotting your eyes and crossing your cheeks. That's why, that's why I do love when I ask that unsung hero question and they name the script supervisor because I'm the asshole who's like watching a character drink a milkshake and the milkshake line goes up and down throughout the entire scene. I like when it's nice and even and real. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. You've got production brain. Oh, thanks. Again, I can't tell if that serves, serves me well or not watching movies. I think it's serving you great. <laughs> thanks. I, all right. Any, any last minute thoughts on Mortal Kombat before we close this episode out? Um, well, I would be curious, what do you think, if there is a sequel and they do pay off that final tease, do you think they're going to go for someone very famous or more in line with the, the level of famous they've cast so far? Can you re-ask me that question after I see how much money the movie makes? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. It's, I, th- I think if the movie makes a lot of money, they will have no problem getting someone super famous for, for a character like that. But I, I think we're going to find some, you know, like in terms of a well-known name, someone, you know, that you might know, but you might not know somewhere in the middle. Well, let me rephrase it then. Do you think that particular character, given, you know, his identity as a famous person would benefit from being like a superstar amidst a cast of people who are less famous. I see what you're getting at there. Like, I don't know why just, it was like, so like Harry Styles. I don't know why I thought that though. Exactly. (laughs) That makes no sense. Not quite Um, where I was at, but, but sure. I'm, I'm desperately searching for a name that I think suits for what you're trying to explain. And, and there, it feels like there's someone very obvious on the tip of well, my tongue right now. Let's say, I can't think of an exact example of someone at this time period in history, but let's say a pre-Captain America Chris, Chris Evans, yeah. I think it would have been like exactly the level I'm talking about. Yeah. I, no, I could see something. Yeah, I could see something like that. I think it might work. And I think it would, because... I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I just think it would help create that sense of like energy and star power around the character. It's maybe a shortcut to making him have star power if he has real star power, but I think it could work. No, I think I think it could work. And I, I really do hope they get there. I'm so curious to see what the box office winds up being on this movie and what what the general reaction is because, you know, I haven't looked at Rotten Tomatoes. I imagine it's taking a critical lashing right now, but I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of responses that are in line with ours where, you know, flaws, but fun. Yeah. It's like a great pull quote. (laughs) Could you imagine a poster flawed, but fun? Uh, No, I cannot. They, my feed is split between people who straight up hated it and people who are in our boat which is like I don't think it's a masterpiece but I would love to see more yeah I hope I hope that that feeling prevails and they do give us more it also feels like Warner Brothers could benefit from having another franchise yeah well that that really shows in the scripting here is your Mortal Kombat Avengers yeah is it is I think 
as I said earlier in a different way, really harmed by its intent to franchise build. Yes, I, I will. <laughs> Not the first time this has been a problem. For oh, me. no. I mean, really? I can't, I can't believe how often that winds up being the case. Just make a good movie. Y'all. <laughs> Why can't studios learn? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And it doesn't like this is so simple that it really doesn't require that. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, it's a little baffling. Yeah, it has a fifty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um. All right. Well, <laughs> actually, I expected worse. Honestly, uh, just because it's I, not I, a critics movie. I ex- I might have expected a little worse too. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I will definitely be watching it again before it leaves HBO Max. Like I won't be fully paying attention this time. I will be paying attention during the fight scenes, but uh, I'm I will be returning before it's gone from streaming for the time being because I enjoyed it and I want to, uh, I don't know, I just want to watch them murder each other again, I guess. (laughs) I really enjoyed the way they killed each other, which is really what you go to Mortal Kombat for. Well, you want the fatalities, I get it. Yeah. Oh, I did have one more thing. You just reminded me with the fatalities. I, as much as I loved that trailer, really wish they hadn't put so much of that final fight into it because all the stuff that would have floored me in that fight, I was already expecting. You weren't, you're not wrong. I mean, really, they... They put a lot of the money shots in that yeah. trailer. There were quite a few of them because after watching the movie, I went back and watched the trailer so I could see what, you know, some of the peak moments that, uh, you know, folks who haven't seen the movie might want to hear about before we're allowed to release spoiler material. So I was very focused on that as well. And a lot of a lot of big things happened in that trailer. But just like imagine how differently that final showdown plays if you haven't already seen the frozen blood moment. That's very, very true. And that's that's an example of something where I think featuring it in the trailer took away from the moment in the film, even though the moment looked good. I, for me, it absolutely took away from it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so I kind of know how this is going to go. Yeah. There was another, there was something very recently that was featured heavily in the trailer. Oh, oh no, you know what I'm thinking of? A great example of something featured heavily in a trailer that still plays well in the context of the full film full film is the the paint scene in Invisible Man. Yes, yes, that's a really wonderful example. Huh. I'm gonna like spend too much time today thinking about why having your scare revealed wouldn't ruin the scare and why having your fuck yeah fight scene moment would fuck up your fight scene. I I think it speaks to the close to flawless nature of Invisible Man in every single department. The fact, the fact that you know, like a lot of this conversation, we've been talking about how Mortal Kombat fails to build that that suspend that level of suspension that you need, and mm-hmm. and that fear and that engagement in this Mortal Kombat scenario here. Whereas Invisible Man, it you know, it sucks you in and it continues to draw you further and further into the situation and never lets go. So by the time that moment comes up in the movie, you're so wrapped up in what's happening. It's like, like it still works. Yeah. And every, just to basically copy what you said, everything around that 
what was revealed in the trailer is just as effective as that final payoff. Yeah. Which I don't think I can say for that final fight scene. Like it has really cool moments that would have hit different if I didn't know they were coming, but it is not otherwise an impeccable fight scene. Yep. Yep. I'll agree with you on that. All right. That's our Mortal Kombat episode of The Witching <laughs> Hour. We basically just like ripped the movies to shreds, but still loved it. And I hope we convinced you of all of that. I don't even know. Like, yeah, it does. It comes down to like, all I have to say about why I like it is that I had a good time, but yep. there's so much more I can say about all the little things that went wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to second that I had a good time and I'm just going to keep on the Kung Lao obsession path that I'm on right now. And he kicked ass and I'd watch a full movie with Max Wong and that character. And I just never like, I'm never going to have a bad time watching beautiful people kick the shit out of each other. <laughs> One of my favorite genres. Well, I feel like that needs a that needs a little more definition on. I don't know. I was about to say the blockbuster shelves or like you know like the Netflix <laughs> the Netflix menu. Just give me or or HBO Max in this case. Give me the the selection of movies of beautiful people kicking the shit out of each other. Yes. Well, if that is your thing and you were a little underwhelmed here or want more of what you did like this is not going to be an original thought this weekend you're going to see it everywhere probably but go watch the night comes for us just oh yes please please do that all right you got anything you want to shout out before we close this episode out Mm, no i think i just did okay well, guess what I'm going to tell everyone to watch? The Jessica McNamee Ladies Night. What a there's, surprise. There's that one, and there's also the Aya Cash one. They're, they were both really great conversations. And, you know, if you want some Mortal Kombat spoiler talk, there is some of that in the Jessica McNamee episode. And, you know, I also got to blab about the loved ones in Battle of the Sexes, both of which I love and wanted an excuse to talk about. So that episode gave me that opportunity. So go check that out. And... Stay tuned for more Witching Hour next week. That is it. We're out of here. You have officially survived the Witching Hour.